I don't mean to sound all Oprah about this, yeah. but I, I now see it as very valuable because I have seen friends of mine uh, receive really, really horrible abuse online. Mm. And I never fully understood what it might feel like to be yeah. in that situation. And now you understand. And now I do. Hello and welcome to the very first Girls With Goals of 2019. I'm Neve Maria. very welcome back. I hope you had a lovely Christmas and New Year's and all that jazz. This week we're talking a little bit about resolutions, but more importantly, in my opinion, we're talking about anxiety and the kind of struggles that people can have around this time of year. So a little bit later on, we'll be joined by musician Molly Sterling, who's taking part in an incredible festival. But first, I'm delighted to welcome my very first guest to studio of 2019, broadcaster and columnist Nadina Regan is here. Hello, how are you? I'm good, you're very welcome. It's lovely to be here. This is a great studio. Thank I you. have been following uh, your podcast with interest First, obviously, on the like SoundCloud, but now you're yeah. on YouTube. You're all over the place. There yeah. are cameras and disembodied voices like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's good. So we're, we're very happy to be here, and we're very happy to be starting 2019 with yourself. So we're going to talk a little bit about First Fortnight European Mental Health Art and Cultural Festival, and that's what you're taking part mm. in. And I want to tell everybody exactly what you're doing. It's so interesting, and it's an incredible festival. It kicked off on New Year's Day. Um, and it's kind of about the challenge and breaking down the stigmas around mental health. But mm. before we get into that, we're going to start off with our game, which we start off every show with. So it's called Six Words or Less, and it's for any of our readers and listeners and viewers of the show who may not know who you are. So you have to describe yourself in six words or less, so in your own time. All right. I tried to come up with six words. Okay. I kept overrunning on the six word thing and I've just boiled it down to the pure essence because I think I might do many jobs in life, but the thing that I know that I have, am and always have been is a madly passionate arts fan. That's me. It's how everything else has happened. Uh, I got into books and music at a very young age, never intended to get into journalism, never intended to get into presenting or broadcasting, never intended to do a podcast, anything like that. And it was just because I was really interested in, like I loved music so much, I'd you know, go to every gig I could, I was reading every book I could, and it, the follow-on was inevitable, that you want to meet your heroes or you want to write about the gigs yeah. that you would have gone to. And so everything more or less just came from there. Yeah. I didn't study journalism. <laughs> Secrets out, secrets out. Nadine, your award-winning journalist is plastered all over you. Um, well, I, I studied English and philosophy mm. in UCC and then I did a master's in creative writing. So obviously it wasn't maybe the most practical yeah. of, uh, you know, kind of degree duos, yeah. but um, yeah, just followed, followed my passion, made my hobby into my career. I think that's an incredible thing. And I think people who get to do that are so lucky as well. Um, but when I look at your career, like, and when you, where you started out, it was very quick that you kind of went into reporting, if you will, on the arts and culture and stuff. So yeah. was that like really key as if, well, okay, if I'm going to go in and be a news reporter, for example, mm. I want to definitely like steer myself towards the things that I'm most passionate about. Yeah, no, I really just followed my nose completely. Like I started writing for the Connacht Tribune um, over a summer when I was in college and I was 19 and I had gotten a lead that somebody there would give me a week's work experience. But when I turned up, he wasn't there. He was on his holidays. But I persuaded them to let me stay in the office. And the following Monday, I just turned up yeah. and nobody 
told me to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so I stayed That's there. a really key thing. Yeah. So I remember I was kind of like that when I started as well, interning, like you're there. And as long as nobody is telling you to leave, mm. you're, you're probably doing something right. Yeah. They're not necessarily telling you to stay either, but they're just not escorting you out. That was the thing. Yeah. I think nobody in that open plan office wants to be the one to take the 19 year old <laughs> and <laughs> dunk them outside yeah. the door. But actually it, it was interesting because that was, you know, obviously back in uh, what would have been sort of late 1990s. And nowadays I hear an awful lot about um, intern culture and, I, you know, where, where people aren't getting paid. And that is a, a big looming issue because it's undermining other people who are in paid positions and I strongly disagree with yeah. the the way intern culture has has been going where it's substituting for real jobs and employers are getting free labor essentially however the one thing I would say against that is my experience which was you know what was it, six or eight weeks um, I didn't get paid during mm -hmm. that time but I did wind up writing half page articles and I learned a, a massive amount so I kind of think that if you're getting something mm. Do it for a few weeks anyway, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And get get the skill. Like by the end of it, they had um, published my work uh, on numerous occasions in the paper. And then I had this, suddenly had this portfolio at yeah. the age of 19. So even though I wasn't intending on becoming a journalist, uh, when I went back to UCC for the uh, third year of my degree, and I happened to run into Fionn Sheehan, who was the then editor of the um, UCC college newspaper. He's now the editor of the Irish Independent. Yeah. And I said, oh, I'd love to write about gigs or I'd love to write about music or something. I was totally like free form. I was just like, I was just really passionate. Yeah. And he was like, well, have you written anything? And I said, in fact, I have. Yeah. And that was purely because I had just said, suck it up, mm. do, do the six weeks. And I'm not saying it's for everyone. And I'm not saying the culture as a whole with intern culture is a positive thing. But if you're getting something from it be yeah. conscious that you are gaining the skill which could prove invaluable yeah I mean I feel like I'm kind of in the exact same boat as you when it comes to that because I worked for free as well for a good few weeks at, um, at a radio station when I started out and like that it wasn't something that I was like yay I'm not getting paid for but I just knew that I was gaining kind of invaluable experience and things have shifted a lot I think in the last kind of decade or so and I think it's really good that obviously you know a certain element of that intern culture is gone. But I also think that maybe people are missing out on getting those valuable kind of portfolios, like you said, inadvertently. Mm. So like as in you were still being published, I was getting on air, like these were the kind of things that were absolutely crucial. Maybe it was yeah. because we weren't being paid, you know. And the other thing is it gives you the opportunity to make mistakes yeah. because if you're making mistakes while you're on work experience or as an intern, nobody is really going to hold you accountable yeah. and everybody makes mistakes when they're starting out. People make mistakes throughout their careers, but particularly at the start. So it allows you to get, get rid of some of those mistakes in a quieter way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? um, so you're the books and arts editor with the Sunday Business Post, but mm. a lot of people will know you from your radio show, mm. which was on Today FM um, for years, Songs in the Key of Life. Mm. Uh, it finished up there in the summer, and I know yeah. there was a huge amount of reaction on mm. Twitter and online, and a huge amount of support for you and what you were mm. doing for that show. Um, yeah. Obviously, you said in your statement that you were disappointed as well. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah I mean, I'm pretty honest. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> not everyone is when it comes to these things. But you see, I suppose what's important to say is, number one, that I was very proud of the show, and the show had achieved a lot. It had won two awards, the Irish Radio Awards. It had got its highest ever listenership that year, and it had acquired a fan base. Um, but I think even aside from that, a lot of radio presenters come into the industry and they're given a show to present. Yeah. Whereas this was quite different. I had conceived the show um, 
suggested it to uh, the then heads of the Dublin station TXFM mm -hmm. and they had agreed to take it on and then the show was very successful for that station and then transferred to Today FM. So I guess because I had a much greater sense of ownership over it because it was a kind of a creation that I had sort of written on my computer as a template, pitched and yeah. then brought from one station to another. I couldn't do, um, I think maybe what some people would do, which is to just um, say nothing at all. Yeah. I honestly remain very proud of that show and what it accomplished. And I think we all know the radio industry changes um, or is changing massively. It, all the kind of print um, and broadcast industries are changing at such a rapid pace that you have to be very pragmatic about it and say, look, this is the way it's going. Mm. Um, certain stations are shrinking, other stations are evolving to meet different yeah. demands of the audience. Um, but that didn't change the fact that I was going to just say, look, very proud of the show. Of I loved the guests that I had on it. You know, everyone from Kathy Davey, who's going to be my guest at the first Fortnite Festival coming up, uh, to, you know, international guests, uh, Chris O'Dowd, well, he's Irish as well, but yeah. feels kind of international now. And, you know, we were talking earlier about Matt Healy of the 1975 was oh, on yes. the show. Neil Hannon of the Divine Comedy was my first guest. Um, so, it, yeah, it was something that, like, it was such a great experience for me. Yeah, I mean, what I loved about the show was that it was so specialist in that, like, it wasn't just a classic kind of music show it was these guests talking about moments in their life through music and it was mm. obviously something that you had conceived and thought that this would be an incredible show and you were right like it was and you were saying though that obviously radio continues to change and I suppose you have a podcast now as well so you've moved I do. you've in, you've yeah. moved into that more yeah um, and obviously like the show here as well I used to be in radio and mm. you know I wanted to kind of focus more on on female focused content and that didn't suit where I was so without obviously like bashing anybody or talking about anything like that do you think that it is slightly counterproductive that some of these specialist shows you know aren't being highlighted on national radio as much when mm. podcasting is so huge now and people actually do want specialist programming do you yeah, know they well, want it I think it was really interesting I think on your own Twitter feed you have a pinned tweet talking about why you left radio yeah. and you say that you left because you weren't able mm. to do the kind of radio that you wanted to do yeah. and after Songs in the Key of Life finished um, I was approached by a number of stations brilliant stations uh, with a view to doing a, the same or similar type show again and it's not something I would rule out in the future but I kind of realized that I needed to draw back a little bit yeah. and get my energy back for doing everything yeah. that I started out wanting to do and I was like right I'm gonna do the podcast I'm gonna go back to basics and learn because podcasting is a field that's totally new to me I'm still finding my way a little bit in the dark you're mm. miles ahead obviously um, but it's been really really interesting because all of a sudden I'm meeting other podcasters and I'm listening to all these podcasts where there are intimate conversations unfolding maybe over the course of an hour uh, where you're in someone's ear, um, or as a listener, you're, you're listening to this very sort of intimate and often very personal conversation that I'm not sure radio accommodates quite yeah. as well anymore. Yeah. So that has been, uh, for me at least, um, the whole podcast experience, uh, the name of my podcast is My Roots Are Showing. It's such and a great have, name as um, well, I love that. <laughs> well, How did you come up with that? Uh, it was a bit of fun. Uh, a friend of mine had a magazine a few years back that folded and he had a section in it. It was a state magazine, actually a music magazine, but there was a little section in it called My Roots Are Showing. And I remember 
looking at it and thinking, that's such a great name. And then subsequently the magazine didn't survive. And when it came time to come up with a name, honestly, it was a holding pattern name, you know, like mm. almost everything was, it was like, oh, I need a name. I, yeah. need a, I need a thing, you know? Of course. So, and then I was like that name because it means that um, for podcasts, it's a lot more difficult to get uh, the rights to use uh, songs, for example, mm -hmm. running through your podcast, which is what I would have done with Songs in the Key of Life. Yeah. So with My Roots Are Showing, it removes the need for me to play music if I don't want to. So oh, I could yeah. interview um, a politician, for example, and we could talk about music, but I wouldn't have to have full songs and yeah. get the licensing. So t to some extent, it was getting away from that. And in another way, I think we all have in our heads sort of little memos where you're like, that was a great name or this is a great name. Yeah. And my friend, um, shout out to John Walsh, she came up with the name. Um, he was like, oh, you got the name. And I was like, John, it has to live somewhere. So he was he was cool with it. Yeah, um, but yeah. brilliant. And so, I mean, like you said there, you know, you are, you can speak to other people. So it, it's different from what you were doing, obviously, um, as in it's not heavily focused on playing music because that's kind of the nature of of what podcasting is you know and licensing and stuff like that is a bit of a nightmare but is that something that you're looking at as like like you said a new challenge are you excited to kind of learn through a different medium almost and then yeah. still put it out there well what I've kind of realized is that the experience of broadcasting because I was producing and presenting the show I started on Phantom in 2006 presenting and producing The Kiosk, which was an art show. Then I did The Breakfast Club and TXFM, then Songs in the Key of Life. And to a certain extent, you begin to sort of repeat a pattern a little yeah. bit. So with the podcast, I was like, right, it is definitely just a little bit free form at the moment, but like I do hope to hone it and mm. truly come back to you maybe in a year and go, yeah. this is it. This is this is the thing. I'm sure yeah. when you started as well. Oh yeah. Well I started as a sports podcast. So yeah, I mean things change. Right. You know, yeah. Before <laughs> we were here it was originally envisioned in my head as just sports and then yeah. I kind of realized that actually my interests go further than just sports and so we still have like lots of athletes who come on and it's incredible to talk to them but I realized that like you know it's broader broader than that yeah. and there was an appetite for that as well so it definitely evolves which yeah. is a really interesting thing to kind of see when you have the freedom to kind of curate your own content yeah. I suppose. Yeah. But at the crux of it always though for me would be the interview because I mm. love talking to people yeah. and I think probably just with this particular podcast I want to extend it out further because I think with Songs in the Key of Life I was concentrating mainly on artists yeah. and uh, with my roots are showing I think it's a very interesting time in Ireland uh, obviously uh, the repeal movement throughout the course of 2018 mm. uh, the same-sex marriage referendum having been passed there's an incredibly interesting sort of grassroots political movements taking place uh, in Ireland. And I, I felt like maybe with a, a more pure art show, I wasn't really tapping into that. Yeah. So um, for the second show of My Roots Are Showing, we actually did it as um, a live kind of podcast um, at the Festival of Politics. Okay. And I had three guests uh, who would have been partly drawn from the political world, which is new for me and kind of exciting. So that was great. Yeah, we've had a couple of politicians on Girls with the Goals as well, which again is not what I had envisioned originally for it at all. Um, we've had female and male politicians on it. Um, but like that, you know, the appetite is there for yeah. that kind of content. So. Somewhat clashing with your name. I know, yeah, I know. That's it, whenever I have a man on, which we do frequently, we always do. But um, before I kind of want to talk about the festival that you're involved with, I do want to talk a little bit about 
kind of more anxiety and resolutions mm. in this time of year because um, the first fortnight festival for people who don't know about it you can get all the information on firstfortnight.ie that's the website and and basically it is kind of about breaking down the mm. stigmas around mental health and it's in its 10th year now so mm. this is massive that Ireland is kind of doing it this year and there's a huge amount of events taking place and, and things like that but yeah. I do think that this time of year is a struggle for a lot of people in terms of anxiety mm. and mental health and even just the come down of the festive season like do you buy into resolutions have you ever bought into resolutions or, or what do you feel about the pressures that come along with I that? did make a resolution this year did you and it's to be a little bit more careful about how much time I'm spending on social media but also how I'm using social media so I don't know about you but I have a tendency to flick between apps mm. so I'll flick from Twitter to Instagram to Facebook to Gmail and I'm back again I can do yeah, a whole circuit yeah. and keep going you know and I realized that when I started out on Twitter years back, um, it was a really valuable place for me to be. And it, was, it, it felt like it was very exciting and new and people were maybe a little, we were all maybe a bit more naive. Mm. And now I think Twitter has become a little bit more aggressive. Oh God, it's terrifying. Like it's, I, I think it's a terrifying platform. And the reason mm. I say that is because I'm not big on Twitter at all. Well, I'm not mm. big on anything, let's be honest. But like, you have a massive following on Twitter in terms of like Ireland, as in you've got a, a well, nice I mean, big I've, following. I've, 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 a, I've a decent following in the sense that like for somebody who deals largely with the arts, yeah. um, you know, I've definitely become like I suppose I just love I've always loved Twitter yeah and so I, I really did pay a lot of attention to it I think if the, the more attention you pay to Twitter the more it sort of rewards you in terms yeah. of people know that uh, actually they, they do these stats and they, they say um, who is very responsive on Twitter and I looked at my stats one, one time and apparently I'm highly responsive so if somebody drops me a little note or something on Twitter I'm like hey you know so like yeah, in ways yeah. I love that because it means that you're getting in touch with people who might be uh, the same as you in terms of their interests or yeah. they might have something to that would sort of uh, be interesting to comment on but yeah I mean I think just over the past six months I've grown to realize that I'm increasingly um, concerned mm. that uh, a uh, it, I'm losing the time when I could be reading learning or doing something more interesting with family and friends mm. you know I'm just vacantly going around these apps yeah. and I suppose the other thing as well is and getting back to the um, the topic of the talk that I'm doing at first fortnight yeah. uh, anxiety the art of anxiety is the name of it and I think Anxiety as a condition is on the rise, uh, or has been on the rise over the past few years. And if you look at that in tandem with our mobile phone use mm. and our social media usage, it strikes me that we all, in sort of our sort of office lives, are in a very always-on mentality. Absolutely. We yeah. wake up in the morning, we look at our phones. We go to bed at night, we look at our phones. Just before we shut off the light, you yeah. know, we are completely orientating our lives around this one tiny yeah. um, mobile phone. And it's it's worrying because I think it's creating a situation where you feel a thrum of stress or strain mm. sometimes uh, at moments when you shouldn't be feeling like that at all. Well, I was feeling stressed looking at people's New Year's resolutions that they were posting <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's everybody's prerogative to post whatever they want to post about on social media. And I posted over Christmas and I posted like 
from a mountain, like toasting to New Year's. Um, but I've never really gone into depth about like what a great year I've had for this, 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 and this reason. And for some reason, scrolling through, like you said, quite vacantly, just kind of mindlessly scrolling like I do, um, I was just looking at how incredible all of these years were. And, yeah. I, and it did, it made me feel kind of shitty about myself. Like I felt pressure to maybe post something or maybe mm -hmm. feel a little bit more enlightened or something like that. So I think the resolutions, this time of year and social media and anxiety seem to all kind of tie in mm. together. And that just amounts to stress in my head anyway. Like, and I'm, mm. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Um, this summer, I don't post a lot on Facebook, but this summer after the radio show finished, I made a lot of effort to go to a lot of festivals. I did a lot of live events. I hosted a lot of things. And I posted a lot of pictures from those events. Mm. Um, not thinking, that much of it but they were they were lovely pictures and I did have a lovely summer in certain respects but it was coming in the backdrop of having had quite a tough time as well yeah. and somebody came up to me that I hadn't seen uh, in, a, in a while and she came up at Christmas and she said oh you know I saw your pictures on Facebook she said you made me feel so crap about my life you had oh, such a great no. summer I was like oh no 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 yeah. <laughs> that was like to, almost for me as a way to you know bring up my own life a little bit and and I then I thought about it and I was like my god we're all engaged in the mm. silent competition I know. and we're doing each other no favors at all because all that's happening is somebody else looks at those photographs and thinks that you're living essentially yeah. um you know the the MTV style video where everything is perfect yeah. and of course that's not the way at all um but yeah I I would love to see manners and um intelligence brought back to apps uh, like Twitter mm -hmm. because more and more friends of mine, journalists, writers, presenters have left the, the medium entirely mm. because either they have been relentlessly trolled or they have been made to feel small or shamed mm. and that is just it's not good enough and I see very yeah. big name commentators as well weighing in they are forgetting their manners and they're looking for followers because it's all about engagement anyone will tell you it's about engagement but actually if you're turning into a cartoon version of yourself I think you need to stop and take a look at yourself in the mirror and say actually is this who I want to be online do I want to be a bully do I want to try and shame yeah. people none of that is good because I saw that you were trolled pretty heavily recently mm. and I mean like obviously you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to but it was an opinion piece which is the kind of stuff that yeah. you do and I think that's a crucial point about it yeah but you were talking about what I think is really relevant at this time of year as well just the way that women are told to feel about their own bodies and yeah well and it was a piece kind of about things. feminism and choice yeah. and actually I did get quite trolled for that and I saw some of the comments were oh I just I I don't even know at this point I just oh, really? blocked them yeah. but um but it, it was actually quite good food for thought because I'd never had that experience before I've been very sheltered and uh, the commentators hadn't read the piece because it hadn't been published That's it, so yeah. um, they had seen a caption and they'd seen a picture and, and I think that's a bigger indication of what the trolls can be like mm. because I saw a few Irish supporters of you kind of like mm. weighing in and being like have, have you read the piece? Was it published? Do you know what this piece no. is about? And it was just that someone had picked up on something mm. and then it just kind of turned into this mass frenzy. So I have uh, to say though, like I, ha like, I found it difficult, um, but then I, 
like I don't mean to sound all over about this, yeah. but I, I now see it as very valuable because I have seen friends of mine uh, receive really, really horrible abuse online. Mm. And I never fully understood what it might feel like to be yeah. in that situation. And now you understand. And now I do. Yeah. And so once you've had that experience, your, your entire comprehension of how these apps work and how in the space of five or six seconds, you know, the space of time it takes to send a tweet, yeah. your, your entire kind of experience of Twitter can change is very clear to me. Um, John Ronson wrote a book, uh, I think it's called So You've Been Publicly Shamed or something like that on, oh, a few years back. And I interviewed him for it. And I thought at the time the book was really, um, really good, very perceptive. Uh, but I think his book is actually gaining in uh, currency as the years go on. Yeah. And I was listening to... Um, a radio conversation on Joe Duffy actually the other day about a young girl who had pictures taken from her Facebook and posted to a porn site and she was describing how she was 14 when the pictures were taken and 17 when she found out about it and that's what I mean by an instant something mm. can just change because you may think that you lead a relatively blameless life you may think that for example, you could write an opinion column or I could write an opinion column and we may disagree with each other. And if we're sitting on the sofa now, yeah. we'll politely disagree and we'll say, I don't like that choice of phrase or I don't like that sentence or I'm not into that idea. Mm. And that will be fine. But on Twitter, all that goes out the door. And yeah. it's the Piers Morgan, Donald Trump style of debate where it's all um, a way. It's just one upmanship, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I think that that, again, feeds back into um, why festivals like First Fortnight are becoming so much more important because people are doing private um, battles with themselves in their own homes because maybe they've maybe they've had a, a partner, mm. I don't know, a former partner send out an, a graphic image of them or maybe something has happened that they don't talk about in the real world but they're experiencing in the privacy of their own home. Yeah. So I think all these things need to be brought out more and actually, um, you know, they were talking about it the other day, but legislation needs to be brought in to protect people. Absolutely. So the, the talk that you're kind of chairing sounds so interesting. And there's some familiar names. We've actually had Siobhan Murray on the show before yeah. as well, which is fantastic. Um, and obviously Dave, who's Joe.e, he's going to be there as well. So it's called The Art of Anxiety. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. So don't go anywhere. We are taking a quick break now. Molly Sterling is an incredible Irish talent. I don't even really need to introduce her. She represented Ireland at the Eurovision when she was only 17 years of age. She has her first headline gig in Whelan's in March, and she's also performing at the big gig for the first Fortnite Festival, which is happening January 12th, I believe. So Molly was in with us earlier on, so there you go. I'm joined now by musician Molly Sterling. Molly, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so Thanks. much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So fancy. So I'm a big fan. So fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours, but you are by no means, we were just talking about your age there, which yeah. of course we're not going to say on camera because it's nobody's business. Um, sure. But you're by no means new to the music scene. You've performed at other voices, Forbidden Fruit, Independence, mm -hmm. to name a few. And let's be honest, your music gets rave reviews from kind of the top 
Irish music critics in the country, which is incredible. Um, but 2019 seems to be just going to be bigger for you as well. You're headlining Whelan's in March, mm-hmm. which is incredible, obviously kind of an iconic place. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you're taking part in the first Fortnite big gig on January 12th, mm-hmm. um, which we're kind of talking about, you know, on this episode. So I think what I want to do first is just go back a little <coughs> bit and kind of talk about you know, for anybody who maybe is new to your music and, and new to mm. you as well, when did it all begin for you? When did your love of music first start? Um, that's a really good question. I think it's a pretty basic question. Yeah. Doesn't everybody it, ask you that? It's like basic, I, like not really. You can like, be honest with me. It's you, you know, but you, I'm like, actually, like, this is, that's well, a terrible that's, question. Yeah. <laughs> ask another one. Uh, not like, I, I mean, it's a good question because it makes me, think about when I began getting involved with music because it kind of feels like I've just always been it's always been in me like I've always been doing it yeah like I was I was just mad I was such a dramatic child I'm still pretty dramatic to be honest (laughs) but like I was like into like dancing and uh the first time I was ever singing on stage I was like in a, I was singing Fallen by Alicia Keys. Okay. I was in like... The just starting little, small. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. Like, no, like, let's just keep it. Just keep <laughs> the bear here. But uh, I had like a little cane and a top hat and a little waistcoat. Drama. But it was so... It was like, it was, like all out. But it, like with that, then like I remember after that performance, like just like every time I performed, I just like burst into tears at the start I just get so like the anxiety would come like after I play no matter how I play it's mad so like that's uh, whenever people ask me about like how I began in music I always kind of I always also think of my like my anxiety my history of anxiety and with with that like that's interesting because like I've I've interviewed people before and we've spoken about it and we were speaking about it with Nadine there as well in terms of like anxiety and the arts very much like, you know, mm. people are starting to speak out about it a lot more now. But it's interesting that your performance anxiety would come after the fact as opposed to like, would yeah. you not get nervous before or was it always after? I think like like now I've kind of got more of a handle on it. Yeah. But, uh, and I get like that healthy amount of... Adrenaline. Uh, yeah, of like mm. energy and I'm kind of like, cool, I don't want this energy of excitement to tip into anxiety and yeah. kind of... But um, yeah. Before I I'd like go into fit afterwards. Really. Yeah, it was really bad. Really bad for my mom. I'd just be like, oh, it was so awful. And like, oh my god, I'm the worst. And just being just slating myself afterwards. Just like really self-critical. Yeah. So like really, really badly, and just like, and I think there was such a freedom in that moment. Only recently, only a few years ago, and I kind of realized like, ah, oh, Jesus. It's not for that reason. And then yeah. you kind of start writing about different things and performing differently. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. In terms of your writing, was that something, because obviously what you were saying there with the top hat and the cane, <laughs> it felt very like you were maybe a, yeah. a performer from a Show young girl. age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which there's nothing wrong with. But when, when did the songwriting kind of, because... You know, I've read about musicians that they just like it just like pours out of them and mm. something. And it, it seems to be something that either, you know, you, you have or you don't have in terms mm. of that ability. Um, so when did that start for you? And when like when was the first time that you kind of sat down and was like, oh, shit, I think I'm going to be a songwriter? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I don't know. I think I started to take it seriously as like a career option knowing that it's what I want to do from like a really young age yeah like from like 
15 wow. I started take I started being like cool what's my plan like yeah. do you know what do I want to what's my like I'm really bad at like business goals and looking at looking at it like that. But well, to be honest, at, a, at the age of fifteen, I don't, I don't know <laughs> anybody who's like goals. awesome at business plans. <laughs> I'm thirty two and I struggle with a business plan. That's so. fair. Thank you. No, feel more together. Well, yeah, but I mean, fifteen is so young. Yeah. And you were already thinking about like this was gonna be yeah. your career. Yeah, like I was working in and like recording and, and working on on different tracks, mm. but uh, but like from a, from before then I've I felt that sensation of when you start writing and it just keeps going yeah and there's still like there's so many songs that I I'd, I'd love to release at some point but they they don't really I'm kind of at the point now where I, I like releasing stuff that um is quite relevant to my headspace now because it's quite drastically different to my headspace like two years ago even, yeah you know um so. we spoke there slightly about like you know basic music question so here's another one coming at you um influences when you were like younger I suppose and when yeah. you were kind of developing your your own sound what was kind of the music that you were listening to and were there any artists that you were like wow if I could be in any way like that person yeah. my life would be made because um, we got goals on this show so <laughs> yeah so just tell me about who were your um, hashtag goals when you were younger my hashtag muso goals yes um, I kind of, I think my early teens, which weren't that, weren't that long ago. Okay. <laughs> we get it. You're young. Relax. Just, just saying. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, um, I was kind of just listening to whoever was put in front of me. Mm. And I, I love thinking about that, uh, that kind of time when I realized who I really loved. Like mm. I was obsessed with Stevie Nicks for so long. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Nicks, um, Laura Marling changed mm. changed the game for me, uh, and like Meatloaf, I was like that Meatloaf. dude was dramatic as hell. Like, oh my, I, I loved love that it. video that he did. You let me say oh you definitely weren't born, um, <laughs> but it was the one where uh, he was in the castle and there was this beautiful woman in the white dress. It's like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, 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 yeah. I loved that video. That it's was so amazing. Good. Yeah. But, uh, Meatloaf, yeah. that's a weird one. Wasn't wasn't expecting that. Oh man, like yeah, I think because there's always some sort of a dramatic undertone in my writing. Mm. It's like that kind of sense of a ballad somewhere. Yeah, like, yeah. Suppressed ballad. But uh, yeah, Laura Marling, Keaton Henson, I've been a fan of for a long time, uh, and a lot of those like idols, people that I really idolized yeah. um, when I was younger. Is it's like still true true to now, and I'm still trying to kind of live up to like artistically where they've gone, yeah. you know. I mean, I was reading some of the the, the writings about your work and, and people like Nile or Nine and stuff like this, just talking about how you are essentially a wordsmith. And you said there <laughs> that you have these dramatic undertones that kind of mm. come out. Like in terms of the themes, is it something that you were like, I want to write about that now? Like you said there that two mm. years ago, it would be very different. Yeah. So, I mean, is it very much about what you're going through in your own life? Yeah, for sure. Like, I think I'm more of a conscious writer now, which yeah. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I think right now I'm writing less, mm -hmm. but I'm kind of doing more. So it's kind yeah. of a headspace thing too. It's 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 kind of a hard one because two, two or three years ago, I had no idea at the time when I was writing what was going on, like mm. what was happening. It's just you're in a space. Yeah. Um, and... It's 
I always found the like after the fact really interesting where you're kind of analyzing your own state of mind in yeah. that in that song well that's it it's so personal as well like yeah. yeah I mean do you ever worry about being that honest in terms of your writing because artists get dragged for that particularly mm. female artists at times yeah. get really dragged for you know sometimes being too honest and you know yeah. sometimes with uh with males it doesn't happen so I mean do you ever That's does true. that ever pop into your head or is it just completely your process and it doesn't matter um it definitely did at the beginning mm. at the beginning I was like terrified because if it, it did feel like I'm very sensitive about who I was performing in front of and like who was there and who was because in my head when I started gigging I was like I'm this is a massive just like 40 minutes of a confession and like I don't I've met I've had a point with this person I don't really even know them yeah um it's like like, reading your journal essentially yeah but I think it's like cryptic enough because I I love like poetry and being like kind of and metaphors and the kind of cheesiness in that and kind of incorporating that too um so it would never be like too direct sometimes but uh but yeah this is something that I've always wondered like so obviously now you're gigging so much and you're you're you know working obviously incredibly hard and you're really starting to get like the the bigger gigs do you practice as much as maybe you used to do or is it just gig 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 I mean I don't practice as much as I should but is that a thing because I mean like if you don't practice at sport for example yeah. you get really bad at it but I mean yeah. are you gigging so much and it's just your job now that you don't practice um I you can tell me I to be <laughs> honest I, I'm like let me just tell you something just you uh I think I've no, definitely noticed my vocal uh two years even a year ago was like way better yeah. than it is now it's like a struggle now to kind of hit certain notes but I'm also using different parts I kind of I think practice kind of depends on like uh, on your lifestyle I'd love to practice more mm. but it's kind of settling into a lifestyle where you, you know that you have settled into and you're okay with saying no to a lot of the things your friends would be doing because you want to be in your room on your own practicing yeah you know it's not always like it, like stimulating and it's not always fun yeah and like I'm really bad I'm like I've just no focus I'm really bad at practicing but I do once I get into the zone of it and I'm like, cool, now I, last week I set aside like three days of just a few hours of uh, hammering out the same thing. And like when you start to see a difference, you, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's worth it. But like, it's definitely, I'm definitely really bad at it. I need to get better, <laughs> to be honest. So in terms of like your age and how young you are and comparing that to like how established you are at the moment, what advice would you have for girls your own age who are maybe trying to break into the music industry at the moment or they're mm. finding it hard or they're maybe you know releasing YouTube videos and it's getting mm. absolutely no views because I know that that's kind of a way that people maybe are yeah. going now mm. as opposed to kind of the gig route essentially but I suppose yeah. there's so many different ways that people can do it but what yeah. do you think would be the best advice for people who really want to make it but are, are maybe feeling like there's no chance? I don't really know. Like advice with with music in general is kind is is a lot of the time just like pointless. Some like sometimes it's really important and mm. people cling on to it. But I've always found advice just makes me feel really overwhelmed. I'm really? Like, oh. like yeah, because everybody's because if people offered advice to you like throughout your career, they have like I they totally have, and I would kind of tend to just um, 
like videos with interviews of like people of musicians that I love there was one uh piece of advice that I think is really good and it's basically like just be be open-minded but be stubborn and that's mm. kind of what I try to do and it's hard because you like I love being a like people pleaser but you can't Mm. I, I would say like kind of drop the notion of being a people pleaser if you, if you want to be in music because yeah because you need to make something that's you or you know whatever sort of ethos you want to adapt with the art that you're making but it is know? different now as well like as in nobody's trying to make you Britney Spears that's the right thing, like yeah. I mean I would hope not anyway because it's, I mean. it's so different <laughs> from what from what <laughs> you true. do that like that would be crazy but yeah. I mean you know, 10 years ago, if somebody maybe saw the talent that you have in terms of your vocals and songwriting, mm. they might have snatched you up and been like, mm. oh shit, we've got this incredible pop princess. Uh, like, that's... I've definitely tried to happen. <laughs> Has it actually? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Like, Especially when you're getting in younger. Like, yeah. I would also, I guess, any advice would be like, there's no rush. I remember I used to, I'd be, I'm like, can't stand it now, but I used to be mad into X Factor and stuff. Okay. And I'd be like, so again so dramatic such a dramatic kid but I just feel like streams of tears coming down my face because there'd be someone on X Factor it's like 16 mm. and I'd be like I'm that age and like oh my god and I'm here and they're there and just constantly comparing yourself yeah. when like and did you ever consider like going for it or did you mm, no like no, no. Um, but uh, maybe a good thing maybe a good thing yeah. yeah but yeah I think just like so kind of shy away a little bit from advice essentially and just try and be be your own person yeah I guess no it's it's hard to kind of decipher sometimes who to take advice from yeah because I find like people love giving advice people yeah. think like people are like let me tell you now how yeah. you should go about this and you're like I think kind of Irish people love that as well yeah. like let me tell you and it's nice but you need yeah. to I think I used to think I had to take on everyone's advice and then it gets overwhelming yeah but I think knowing that you don't have to take everyone's advice and especially now like what you're saying, like there's so many different ways to go about mm. having a career in music. Yeah. That like you can really create what you want. If you can see it and it's something that you'd be happy doing every day, then you can you can always make it happen. It's just sometimes you won't be able to go for pints. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of it. Like, you can't go for pints. Well, I think that's brilliant <laughs> advice. You can't go for pints. Yeah, like, don't go for pints. Yeah, don't go for yeah. pints. Um, so 2019, like I said there at the beginning, uh, it's going to be a pretty big year for you you have new music coming out as well soon um tell us about that what can we expect from it uh I'm so excited about this new stuff tell yeah. us it's just like I've been working with uh Ryan Vale and Keelan Aston mm -hmm. uh and it's just like and then the guys that play in the band with me like Enda and Colin and Laura they're just it was with this song that we're bringing out in a in February hopefully. and this is feeble right this is feeble okay. yeah um it, it's just one of those songs that everyone was on the same page yeah um and it was a really new direction uh in terms of me feeling comfortable with what I'd done already with with different songs and feeling comfortable enough to kind of experiment a little bit yeah okay with like tones and sounds and kind of seeing 
seeing the lads in the studio work that stuff out and I learned a lot from it but it's definitely like more balls to the wall than the others okay. it's not meant like it's still a sad song and it's slow but like balls but yeah. to the wall I mean and it's called feeble balls okay. to the wall ballad a balls to the wall ballad so that's coming out in February amazing and you're also performing at the first fortnight big gig which is taking place in Dublin on January 12th as well yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you're going to be headlining Whelan's. And that's in March, right? That's March 22nd, yeah. Okay, how do you feel yeah. about that? Amazing, is it? I'm so excited to be able to... I like... mean, you've performed there before, though, but, like... Yeah, yeah, like, I've never... But it's performing there before as a support or yeah. as part of a festival, you never really... You can't really craft your own, like, your own kind of set and your own show. So... I think what's most exciting about this for me is being able to really portray what you want to in terms of like visuals. You've got that option. Yeah. You've got total control over over sound and um and just kind of being able to really really perform what you've been working on for years. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of it kind of feels like a cool kind of a landmark. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It really does. So. Yeah. Best of luck with that. I'm excited for it. And people can still get tickets for Whelan's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they can also go to the First Fortnight website um, and you can get more information about that big gig as well, which is happening. We do have a snippet of one of Molly's tracks now as well. It's stripped down and it's you performing it live. Would you call this a balls to the wall ballad as well? <laughs> or is it a little bit more? It's emotionally balls to the wall. It's definitely not sonically balls to the wall. <laughs> 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 this interview took a turn um, and also go and of course follow Molly Sterling on all her social medias it's incredible so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Wheelands I can't so wait thanks so don't worry about the scars around my mouth take a bite just to spit me out my lovers would simply pass me down felt to the Impossible to dry my town after a hurricane has brought the rodents to the surface. I'm destroyed. I'm
that was the incredible Molly Sterling there. Like I mentioned, she'll be performing at First Fortnight's big gig on January 12th. So all the information that you need is over on the website. And there's still tickets available for that. Unfortunately, there isn't tickets available for The Art of Anxiety, which our guest Nadine O'Regan is chairing. And that's in Whelan's on January 9th. The event is sold out, but luckily we have Nadine right here. So you can tell us Aww. all about what we're missing out on. But it's so interesting. So tell us a little bit about it and the name in particular, The Art of Anxiety. Mm. Where did well, that it, come from? It's looking at the topic of anxiety through the medium of the arts. Um, I think we've, we, we live in an era where anxiety is coming to the fore. And I thought it'd be really interesting to chat to artists and people working in the arts who've either experienced anxiety or been around it in mm. some respect uh, to come in and just have a chat about how they feel, how they how they get on in terms of their working lives. Um, Kathy Davy is somebody uh, who's well, I should say Kathy Davy is a part of the talk. She's an amazing artist and musician, and she has been very public uh, in the past about how she struggled with anxiety so much while she was touring that she actually retreated from the limelight for yeah. a number of years and found solace actually through working with animals. She's a co-founder of the My Lovely Horse Animal Rescue Charity, which is brilliant. Amazing and, name as well. Yeah, and she came back around then yeah. to music through finding something else that, I suppose, alleviated that stress for her. So she's somebody who I think maybe had a very tough experience. Uh, but then there were other musicians, um, and we'll be talking about, um, I suppose, musicians and other artists as well, who find that they experience anxiety maybe when they're out with family and friends. And for them, actually going on tour and making music is the thing that gives them solace. Yeah. So anxiety can be uh, a barrier to creating art, or it can be, I think, a spur to creating art. There is no one way. Um, so I think it'd be, it's kind of very interesting to explore that. But we also have live performances from I Have a Tribe. Um, Dave Hanratty, uh, arts commentator extraordinaire, is going to be Joe there. Joe yeah. And also uh, we'll be joined by the author, Siobhan Murray, who's written a book on exactly that topic about burnout yeah. and how to find solutions. She had been working in the music industry and left because she realised that it just it wasn't for her yeah. and her life wasn't proceeding the way she had hoped it would. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, the fact that the, the talk is sold out to me suggests that a lot of people are experiencing this maybe privately. Mm. And what was interesting was I went online and I could see that a lot of people were buying tickets singly, which mm. doesn't usually happen. Usually it's like twos or Pairs, fours or yeah. whatever. But there were people who just clearly want to be there, don't even necessarily want to tell anyone, but just want to go along and maybe get something from it, something that helps them live their lives in a way that maybe is more comforting. I mean, this festival, it's it's in its 10th year now. So, I mean, and mental health obviously is something um, that's been around since the beginning of time. Um, it's been but we definitely... had it under different labels, you know? People Absolutely. would say, you know, oh, she suffers with her nerves. Mm. That would be the kind of thing people would say. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, she's a little, uh, yeah. you know, and the smelling salts would be talked exactly. about, this kind of thing. Hysterical and all that Hysterical kind of thing. Hysterical women. And yeah. I think now, especially, you know, with the likes of people like Hattie Davy and then Brezzy as well, like a, a big musician. And Caroline Foran. Yeah, exactly. Talking more openly about mental health and anxiety. Um, 
the stigma is coming down and people are talking about it, but you've been interviewing musicians and people in the arts for a really long time now. Years the, and years. years. You're so old. I'm Let's from... just get it out there. You're so old. There. <laughs> Me and the dinosaurs. You know, I realised it as I said it. I was like, just stop calling women no, old. Grand. Stop calling women old on your show, Neve. It's rude. <laughs> I've got my Zimmer friend yeah, yeah, in yeah. the corner. So just back in the day when you were interviewing the Stones. Actually, um, when the Frames did their tour, what was it there? Um, God, I can't remember what their anniversary was, but it was a long anniversary. But they were going to call it jokingly the Zimmer Frames uh, <laughs> okay. for the Ivy Gardens Amazing. gig, which would have been kind of cool. Been great, yeah. Um, but yeah, but was this something that kind of you knew about? You knew that artists experienced this, maybe because it does seem like a lot of them, and even performance anxiety, which yeah. I always find a weird thing to hear about. People who seem so confident but mm. then have like horrific stage fright. But was this something that just wasn't spoken about for a really long time? Mm. And now finally, artists are starting to say, actually, there's a huge correlation between the arts and anxiety. Mm. And now we're actually just in, in a position where society is more accepting. Yeah, and. I think society is getting better mm. and for all that I have complained a little bit about social media, social media is good at connecting in that sense because I think people are getting becoming a little bit more open and mm. sharing their problems. Uh, but for me, a lot of artists at least seem to have maybe a layer of skin missing sometimes. They, they can be more vulnerable and that's maybe why they create art. Yeah. Um, I don't want to stereotype. Uh, there are plenty of people who maybe don't uh, make art from those kind of concerns. But um, it, it, while it's a difficult topic, I think, in a way to talk about without stereotyping, uh, there's no doubt that if I'm having a rough day and I go out to the pub or to the coffee shop and I talk to my friends, mm. I feel better. Yeah. And this festival and social media when it's being positive is all a way of just sharing our own private concerns and hopefully get into a place where we feel more able to deal with them. Mm. And so whether you're an artist or a non-artist, just a professional, maybe working in an office, yeah. uh, I think there's a commonality to that, that we can try and say, let's be a little bit honest about it. There was um, a friend of mine over Christmas who shared her experiences of anxiety on Instagram, having never spoken about it previously, and I just thought it was so brave. Yeah. And she did say a few people unfollowed her in the wake of that. Um, wow. But so be it, you know? Mm. Maybe some people don't want to hear it, but for other people out there, it would be a great consolation. January is a tough time, and for every person that maybe will write off I suppose mental health conditions as dismissing it under certain, uh, you know, there's the whole snowflake, the yeah. millennial syndrome, the, the way people use these reductive terms. There'll be someone else who will come across a talk or maybe something online and they will get something very valuable from it. And that's why you do it. See, I think it definitely, I think it definitely helps people. Um, but I, I worry sometimes about social media in terms of it being a platform that so frequently is used as a slightly narcissistic tool and I absolutely hold my hands up I post selfies I worry sometimes about you know people who maybe have a platform who then talk about you know severe mental health issues as being triggering just because you know I was talking to somebody who who had suffered from anxiety before who didn't have any kind of social media platform and she 
found it triggering more so than being helpful. So like mm. that friend of yours who maybe spoke about her anxiety, like what what is she getting out of it? Like, and not in a bad way, but mm. what is she getting out of it in terms of like, is it a healing process for people to post on Instagram mm. about a mental health issue, do you think? Mm. Oh, it's such a difficult topic. Yeah. And for some people, it's a real balm. It's a way to help them progress. And then for other people, you'll see them post more and more nakedly confessional posts until yeah. one day they leave. There's no doubt that you become swayed in the direction of the likes yeah, and the follows definitely. and the retweets. It's dangerous. Yeah. Um, there is a line, which I'm misquoting, which is that um, compliments can be a form of enslaving people mm. because you tend to follow in the direction of somebody who's offering you a nice comment about yourself. Um, and so if you've shared in a very confessional way online and then people tell you you're brave or you're great, maybe you start to share more and then maybe it becomes uncomfortable for you. But then you feel you've, you've got to a place where you have these followers because you share. So I think it is very important all the time to step back and think to yourself, is this still the right thing for me? Mm. Am I still getting as much from this as yeah. I'm giving? In terms of like resolutions and you did say that you're going to try and maybe just use it more wisely but I think it's so interesting because if an hour has passed yeah. and I am just flicking there's yeah. something wrong exactly like and there are books to read there is you know like there's there's a film to watch there's a play to go and see yeah. there are friends to meet and family to meet and I'm flicking around yeah on these it's absolutely pointless so it's all really well connected I think the kind of having said that you can follow me if you like. oh yeah well, I already do just wait <laughs> just wait for the follow back oh to my be god honest. totally totally but um no but like that's the thing you see I I'll immediately go oh I've got to use Twitter less and yeah. then I'm like but yeah get in touch on Twitter oh, yeah, like, no, oh my god what a contradiction I, I apologize no 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 <laughs> I think like talking about resolutions and talking about anxiety and mm. talking about ourselves and our own relationship with social media is is so much connected because I think that's one of the things that's really affecting people, especially now, especially in the first second week of January. That's why I think the first fortnight festival is so valuable because yeah. I think it's a great time to kind of have people reevaluate what's going on in their own lives and, and also just hear stories. You hear know? stories, and your event is real live people in person talking to each I other, know. so it's not flicking. But see, that's the fun thing. Like the last few months, I've been doing a lot of live events, and I've really just enjoyed seeing actual people in I a room react to because when I was in a radio studio I had no idea I mean you get texts but yeah. you don't really have an idea about what people think yeah. and then you see the person and you see the type of person that would either come to a talk or be interested in what you're interested in mm. and it's actually very very rewarding like Absolutely. it really is and it's about community because we have this social media community mm -hmm. but it's cold because yeah. it's all through surfaces and, and it's all computers. likes and, and stuff like that and yeah. can you imagine if you were in that room Nadine and everybody that was there who was really appreciating the work that you were doing came up oh, and like tapped you physically to give you like a like imagine that and then imagine if they did it by accident they came up and tapped you twice they were like oh, I didn't mean to like that sorry I'm, I'm out of here oh but it's so random when you think about it like that but that's what we're expecting when we put it out there like we yeah, want yeah. those little clicks I want to ask before I let you go because I've kept you for a long time and I know you've got places to go um what would you say to people who are maybe listening and, and who are struggling at this time of year in terms of like a new year and maybe a resolution but trying to stay realistic and trying to really keep a balance and not getting hyped up by everything that's being targeted to us as women mm. specifically because 
25 gyms are coming for me at the moment against my will <laughs> on Instagram specifically. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. ads are coming at me. And Well, I mean, I don't mean to sound all like Socrates-like about it, but I think, or is it Plato? But it's like, know thyself. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. the whole idea of resolutions, I think they can be valuable, but they can also be very distressing. Because if you set a resolution for yourself that is too lofty and then you fail to achieve that resolution, then you feel like crap. Yeah. So your entire uh, effort has been mm. to make you feel bad about yourself. So just in general, with pretty much anything I've tried to do, uh, and it gets back to what you asked me at the start, was to define yourself in six words or less. Mm. And I define myself as saying I'm an arts fan. That's what I'm about. And so... I'd always go back to that and go, like, think about who you are, who you really are. And if you've always hated swimming, don't say you're going to swim. Yeah. You know, just try and do a little of the thing that you like doing anyway. Yeah. So tap into that. Tap into what's achievable and also what's enjoyable. Like, I've always loved um, running. And I would go running and never put, like... Um, one of those Fitbit things on or mm. do any of that because I realized that once I started getting competitive with myself, I would push myself further and further to the point where I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Yeah. So just do something, a little bit more of something that is good for you yeah. and that you enjoy. And I think it won't go too far wrong. Yeah, because it's a nice time as well. Like it is, fresh starts are good, I think as well. Mm. Like at, at the end of the day, everybody likes kind of opening a new diary. And Did you it, enjoy 2018? Yeah, I had a great time. I just Did didn't you? post about how much I loved it. Like, but I had, yeah, a, yeah. I had a great year, but I was just looking at everybody else's great year and I just felt too much pressure about what I wanted to say. And well, what do you want for 2019? I just want to continue to kind of you know, do good work and continue to be happy in my personal life, which was a really great thing that happened in 2018. And I mean, anybody who follows me on Instagram knows that. So that's kind of just want to kind of continue to do. It. And I think that's one of the things as well, like nothing crazy happened to me in 2018. Like 2017, I changed my career entirely. So I did feel like doing a big, huge post about that and like putting up all the, the crazy emojis and stuff. And 2018, <laughs> 2019, I'm just kind of... You, you're I'm jaded. Just, you're I'm like, oh, rolling through. And I just don't, yeah. I don't have that in me anymore. There's no, also... But there's, there's a great sense of... So many people are jaded by other people's Instagram posts about the new year. Yeah. You know, that people are like, no, I can't do it. You kind know? of jaded by myself as well. Like, that's um, why I don't, I don't want to... But if it was a good year, then sometimes you don't need to talk about it in a way because it, just because it was good. Yeah, you know? that's nice. I'm going to take that as like my solace. The piece of advice I have for you, Nadine. Mm -hmm. Have you watched the new Netflix series that's called Tidying Up? No. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay, so this is Who my. Been talking to this my is, God. This is my New Year's resolution. I don't know if you're messy or not. <laughs> tidy but, person. Okay, her name. Her, her name is Marie Kondo. I'm the least tidy. No, she has person. a book. I know she has a book. It's yeah. a life changing something of of tidying up. I've watched four episodes in the last day, right? And so this is from Paul Donegan, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know if he watched it as well, right? But I've watched four episodes of it, and since then I have bagged up half of my entire wardrobe, and I'm only keeping things that are sparking joy in me and I know that sounds like such an Instagram thing but it is life it's changing it's really good for exes as well because like if you had like I don't know a jumper that yeah, an ex gave you or something like and that. if you pick it up I, I, I am aware of her philosophy although I haven't seen the series but oh, if you pick it up and a little dart of pain goes through you yeah. like just throw it into a black throw plastic bag away get rid of it yeah there's no need for it to be there yeah if however 
that person gave you something absolutely lovely that you still want to hang on to, that's okay, keep that. Absolutely, but everything yeah. else, yeah, gone. I suppose to each their own, resolutions are, you know, really empowering for some people and for other people, they don't want to do them, so that's absolutely fine too. Um, I think what you're doing with the first Fortnite Festival is incredible. It'd be amazing to see, like, more kind of live events like this in the future as well. Oh, I hope so, yeah. yeah. And your podcast, of course, it's yeah, called... Yeah, My Roots Are Showing, and it's on Spotify, Acast, iTunes, SoundCloud... It is everywhere, apparently, that there is a podcast. And it's just growing at the moment. I'm only on my third one. But, uh, yeah, I'd love it if people could yeah. check it out. And, yeah, drop me a line once you listen to it. Absolutely. And she has great engagement on Twitter, so she'll write back to you. I was here. totally right back. Yeah. That is all the time that we have for this week. Thank you so much to Nadine O'Regan and also Molly Sterling for coming in. All the information that you need for the first Fortnite festival is online at www.firstfortnite.ie. I'm Neve Martin. We will chat to you next week.